Hello, and welcome to the Stockout. It's Friday. Uh, we made it. Um, we have a great show for you uh, today. We're going to give a little bit of a rundown of the news, and then I'm going to bring on Tom Madrecki, who's the Vice President of Supply Chain at the Consumer Brands Association, uh, to talk through some of the issues that uh, you know various consumer brands are having, uh, particularly related to uh, their supply chain. If you're new to the Stockout, this is a show we do every Friday afternoon at uh, 3 p.m. Eastern on CPG companies uh, you know, and their supply chains. Uh, I'm Mike Bowden-Distel, and I'll get started with just a brief rundown of the CPG news. And I think the news that just hit this morning uh, is, is sort of further evidence that U.S. consumers are still spending. Uh, saw this personal outlays on goods and services up, uh, you know, just under 1%, you know, 0.8% in August from a month earlier after a slight drop in uh, July. So consumers still spending money, haven't seen that pullback yet. And that 0.8% increases, um, you know, outpacing the personal income growth of 0.2% in August. So people spending a little bit more. Uh, some of the speculation this morning is that it was really related to the enhanced tax breaks that went into effect in July that affected you know parents that had uh, you know income below a, a certain level. Um, so these are the type of things that you know we're we're, we're watching. I mean, we we saw this you know shift from from uh, services to goods over the last year, and now it almost seems like it's 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 both of those things that the consumers are spending you know lots of of money on. Maybe we see a slight pullback next month after the um, you know drop in the stock market in uh, September. Um, you know, we'll see about that. Um, so that's uh, the first news story. The second one I want to bring your attention to is up on the FreightWaves.com site. It was written by uh, my colleague, Alyssa Sporer, and uh, you know, she writes about various environmental issues. And this is her article up. Uh, this was the one, the article that I found most uh, interesting this week on uh, FreightWaves.com. And they're talking about this company called uh, Freight Farms that does vertical farming. And this company specifically does vertical farming inside of international ocean shipping containers and you know this really has some the potential to be you know tremendously disruptive um you know if it, it is, is a trend that really takes off because you think about where lettuce is grown i mean it's really grown in in california um and then you know for a salad that's in new york or boston it has a long way to go a lot of times it needs to be trucked can't be even even railed because it doesn't need to be refrigerated uh, kept at a, a certain temperature so this is the type of thing that you know really could could really I think be disruptive to transportation, you know, networks cause ultimately a drop in, in, in demand, um, but, but also, um, you know, be huge for the environment. This is the type that doesn't, you know, require pesticides or soil. Um, but that's one of the, the trends that I'm going to dig more into, you know, coming up on future issues of uh, the stock out. Um, specifically related to freight transportation, the biggest news this week was uh, ARC Best, which uh, used to be called Arkansas Best, acquired MOLO. Uh, which is short for Modern Logistics for $235 million cash plus an earnout that would bring the total value up to $450 million. Um, so it's uh, about half of the val total valuation is due to earnout. So it's going to be a very motivated um, MOLO here coming up. And some of the interesting sort of financial uh, statistics on this is that MOLO is operating basically at break-even EBIT and EBITDA, so basically break-even cash flow. But you know, but they're expecting to exit fourth quarter 22, generating about 25 million in EBITDA. Part of the, the reason for the break-even is um, you know really just the, the extra cost from scaling up and of course hiring a lot of people um, and, and getting those people onboarded. And then they're, they're, the EBITDA, uh, EBITDA targets are pretty um, aggressive actually. Um, you know, EBITDA targets are. Uh, 25 million in 2022, 33 million in, in 2023, and then uh, 44 million in 2025. So that's 
you know, the expectation is that uh, modern logistics is going to grow very quickly. So I um, expect them to be a much larger presence in uh, the brokerage, you know, industry. And, um, you know, this, this is all of a sudden just makes Arkansas Best one of the top, uh, you know, brokers. I've seen a lot of transformational uh, deals in the freight transportation industry uh, this year. Um, sort of no ex exception to sort of the latest one. And then the last news story I bring your attention to is that proteins relate uh, from peas. So this this pea protein, which is used in a lot of these alternative, um, you know, type you know foods like the you know Beyond Burgers, Impossible Burgers, um, sort of an alternative to having soy protein. You know, those prices are are, are through the roof for some of the same reasons that uh, I've talked about in previous shows with the the the, the fact that the uh, pasta, um, you know, pr prices are, are rising with the ingredients of sort of droughts in Canada, you know, difficult growing conditions in, in, in Europe. So that's another sort of news story uh, related to uh, consumer goods, you know, this week that, um, you know, it sort of caught my attention. Um, but with that, it's, it's just sort of a brief rundown of the news. I'd like to bring on my my guest, uh, Tom Madrecki. Uh, Tom is the vice president of supply chain at the Consumer Brands Association. And uh, Tom, thanks for joining me. Mike, it's uh, great to be here. Looking forward to the conversation. Fantastic. So, so first, um, why don't you just give us a little bit of, a, of an update on, you know, who the Consumer Brands Association is, sort of who you represent, um, sort of what uh, you know, areas you focus on um, most often. Yeah, sure thing. So Consumer Brands used to be known as the Grocery Manufacturers Association. Uh, last year, the pre-pandemic, we actually went through a rebranding to really better capture who we represent. So we represent the totality of the CPG industry, uh, food, beverage, household, personal care, really you name it. If it's in uh, a grocery store or a big box store, aisles A through Z, um, we probably uh, represent those member companies. Um, and so, of course, over the last uh, year plus, um, we've seen tremendous demand for CPG products, uh, tremendous supply chain pressure. Uh, I don't think there's been a, uh, a not a busy day, right, in the last year. I'm sure that holds true for supply chain professionals, but also us in the, the advocacy space uh, and the, the association space. That's great. So you really cover a lot of, of companies there. So you see uh, just a, from a lot of different you know, perspectives. Um, and so I really want to talk about that demand where, you know, in the last year, I mean, huge uh, sort of surge in demand for, you know, CPGs as everyone went into lockdown. And we saw this big shift from, you know, buying, you know, services and travel to, to, to goods. And, you know, as things have opened up, it seems to me like consumers are now, you know, still buying a lot of a lot of goods. They really haven't, you know, scaled back on that. They've just sort of bought more of, of, of kind of everything. I mean, from, I guess from your perspective, what consumer behavior is sticking from the pandemic and which is sort of going back to pre-pandemic levels? And then and is there some that's sort of sort of stuck in the, in the middle? Just any sort of interesting, um, you know, uh, consumer behavior patterns I'd be interested to hear about. Yeah, sure thing. I mean, you sort of hit the nail on the head there when you, you alluded to consumers' increased buying, because I think that that's the, the number one sticky thing, which is just that consumers continue to buy more and more and more. Um, so Consumer Brands has a, a CPG economic pulse report that we put out every quarter. Um, so looking at that demand, Q2, demand was up 8.7% uh, over last year. Um, and this is compar comparing pandemic quarter to pandemic quarter, right? So it's actually... Uh, sort of an even more outsized increase if you're thinking about pre-pandemic levels. Um, and we've seen this year-over-year -year increase in demand almost every month for the past year. The only exception was March of this year, which showed a little small dip um, compared to the panic buying of, of March. But every other month has been up. Uh, and that just continues to, to demonstrate, I think, that consumers um, really are, you know, you can 
referenced, I think, different things for, for different reasons when it comes to the reasons underlying that increased demand. Some consumers are still working from home. Uh, other people have just you know, seen uh, some of the flexibility that's allotted through e-commerce um, or through home delivery for, for grocery products. Some people are just really attracted to these brands, again, that are so strong and um, and you know, prove their worth, if you will, throughout the pandemic. And people really rely on the convenience and the, um, the affordability, the accessibility of some of those products. So there's a lot of reasons, I think, underpinning that demand. But the demand, first and foremost, is uh, really the, the most sticky. Uh, some of the smaller uh, trends are the things that you maybe alluded to a little bit when it comes to like e-commerce, for example. Uh, that uh, explosion of at-home buying, um, of click and collect, or home delivery, um, that's that has a stickiness to it, right? Once people have that, especially if there's free delivery or free pickup, right? They're not going to necessarily want to go back to maybe the way things were. They saw again that convenience level, um, and that has some real stickiness to it. You also see, I think, a shift in how people are purchasing products. So uh, maybe before you were you're a type of person, myself included, that would go to the grocery store uh, every week. You shop around. You you look for you know pick out your fish in the, the fish aisle, right? You're, you're going through, you're just like, you're checking things out um, and you're buying for that week. Your, your purchasing levels is pretty, uh, pretty much the same each time you go and you're relying on some e-commerce purchases as well. Now what you see is you see people doing very frequent e-commerce shipments. You see people sort of supplementing their, their buying with like these large once a month, you know, we're going to go to the big box store. We're going to, we're going to buy everything at once. Um, and so that you see these sort of like little very frequent deliveries happening. Uh, and then you see sort of large purchases happening as well. And I think that both of those taken together don't exactly, um, it's not a recipe for uh, like stability in the supply chain. It's forcing an evolution in terms of how people think about purchasing, uh, fulfillment, um, just really that whole scale supply chain challenge that everyone is wrestling with right now. That's interesting. So it's, it's really sort of a combination. So it's, it doesn't seem like the, the e-commerce has really replaced people going to the grocery store. They're just maybe have changed that behavior in, in terms of, of when they go to the grocery store, when they get delivered. I mean, is there any sort of pattern there where people are buying sort of non-perishable online and then going to the store for their for their meat? Or, or how does that sort of break down? Yeah, I mean, I, and I've looked a little bit at some of these numbers. Um, we don't do as much from an association standpoint in the, uh, you know, the, the meat and protein space uh, yet. But the, the the interesting thing, right, is that you've, you've continued to actually see growth in the perishable space. Um, you look back a couple of years ago, there was, for, for what demand there was for e-commerce grocery, it was a lot of non-perishable. Throughout the pandemic, it's it's definitely grown tremendously in that perishable space where people don't feel, um, you know, and again, to use my own example, before the pandemic, maybe I cared if a, a strawberry looked bad or um, something wasn't perfect in the shipment. Um and now I sort of balance it with, well, if I'm working from home or I have a kid a kid home or something else like that, maybe I'll accept that just as the, the cost of a convenience, right? Um, and so I think you see uh, priorities changing, uh, and that continues to, to have an effect, of course, on, on how people purchase goods. Yeah, it's really interesting that convenience has, has been elevated in uh, consumers' priorities. You know, another sort of question here is, you know, what would um, sort of give you concern that the consumer might be pulling back? I mean, I, you know, everything I see seems to be that, you know, consumers still spending money, but, but what would sort of be like a, an early warning sign, if you will? Um, I mean, I think that, again, looking at the, like the, the CPG economic report that we put out, thinking about um, 
demand, um, looking even some at some of the commodity costs and some of the inflationary pressure that we've seen over the last year, which is sort of you know a reflection of that demand. So our companies are constantly looking to the market, trying to establish where they're at in that demand cycle. But as you also alluded to, there doesn't seem it doesn't seem to be abating anytime soon. Um, this continues to be. Uh, really tremendous demand for, for CPG products. And if anything, I think CPG companies are a little concerned, maybe less about the um, will demand continue and more about can we meet demand uh, given just the tremendous growth, given some of the supply chain constraints, the uh, lack of logistics capacity, port congestion, labor concerns. Um, there's just so much happening for CPG companies that um, they're just trying to keep up. Great. Well, that leads perfectly into the next question I have here is, you know, as it stands today, where do you see the most severe constraints on the supply chain? Is it certain ingredients? Is it certain parts just in the transportation network? Uh, you know, where do you see the, the sort of the biggest, you know, issues from the perspective of the CPG uh, companies? Yeah, I mean, labor, labor, labor. Um, and that goes across the entirety of the supply chain, I think. And the reason I, I sort of harp on that and um, would spend so much time there. Uh, is that it really ultimately is what it can infuses every aspect of what we call like capacity on the supply chain, right? So do you have manufacturing capacity? Do you have people on the floor? Um, do you have maintenance personnel? Do you have the ability to, you know, like fix a light or a, pl a plumbing concern or something like that if you, you just need blue collar work? Um, do you have uh, the uh, sort of like highly educated or professional personnel uh, to run your supply chain operation, especially given some of the demand for those people, um, given the growth of e-commerce, given the growth of logistic services, uh, everyone is competing for the same labor pool right now. Um, and so that's really tight. Um, you look at uh, the scarcity of trucker, trucking capacity and, and truckers, right? That's a, that's a labor concern ultimately too. You think about um, the lack of productivity at ports or the ability for people to clear cargo. Um, in some ways, it's physical capacity. In other ways, it's labor capacity and, and just the you know, ability to run 24-7 more like in Asia. Um, and so it's all revolving around just can people physically keep up? Manufacturers, to their credit, I think, have really tried to explore over the last year creative ways of, of managing that. Um, maybe it's through SKU optimization. Maybe it's through um, just like sort of repositioning of operations through using data, um, different technology tools, um, trying to think about how do you marry uh, you know, the, the people talent that you have with the manufacturer capacity that you have just to get goods out the door um, and then to get them onto transportation uh, and then to ultimately to market because uh, CPGs, are so concerned about having that on-shelf availability, about meeting consumer demand. Um, and that's really uh, a priority right now. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And just maybe just on one of your points, you talked about, um, you know, some of these companies have found sort of creative ways to, um, you know, mitigate some of the transportation constraints. Can you talk about any, you know, examples in the CPG industry that sort of stand out as um, sort of creative solutions to, to, you know, manage their supply chains? Sure thing. So actually, um, one of those efforts was led by the Consumer Brands Association. So in the last year, um, sort of peak pandemic concern, there's a lot of emphasis on keeping employees safe, reducing uh, contact between uh, you know, your, your guard check supervisor, your truck driver, your, your um, unloader at a dock, um, trying to uh, minimize that contact and keep a distance. So there was a lot of uh, interest at one point in the pandemic around electronic bills of lading, around um, electronic transactions or delivery confirmation, things of that nature to, to minimize paperwork. Uh, the Consumer Brands Association and um, more than 30 CPG companies at the start, it's actually grow to over 50 CPGs, a dozen retailers, a handful of trucking carriers, as well as um, software companies like uh, Vector Soft Logistics, 
Uh, Accenture was participating, GS1, uh, Council of Supply Chain Management Professionals, more as like a, a validator. Um, everyone was uh, locked into a, a contactless delivery task force, which we launched really to, to drive towards you know, some degree of standardization in this space. Um, could we scale contactless to um, more, more shippers, more receivers, um, trying to encourage that technology adoption and to, to prove along the way uh, what is the case for contactless technology? The, one of the really interesting things that what we found through piloting with CPGs, with, with retailers, was that on average, uh, those that piloted contactless technology were saving um, up to 40 minutes, um, really enhancing the efficiency um, if you think about like an aggregate of that whole transportation uh, network, I know that like Dave Carell from MIT, for example, has research that I want to say it's like if 12 minutes, uh, you know, if drivers are able to save 12 minutes, you basically solve the truck driver um, shortage. So in some ways, um, the back of uh, napkin mass sort of indicates that if you had widespread adoption of contactless, if you were able to encourage some of this innovation, you could in many ways resolve um, the transportation capacity crunch just by, um, you know, helping ensure that drivers are back on the road and actually able to do their job. Yeah, that's a great point. It was on a webinar yesterday and they asked, you know, question from coming from a, a shipper, what can they do to be, be a preferred shipper? And I said, well, keep the driver moving. I mean, as soon as he right. you know, they'll make him stay while, while they're unloading, he needs to get his miles. The construction company needs to keep that equipment and, and, and driver both, you know, scarce, expensive resources uh, moving. Um, sort of leads into another question is, is you know, we've had all these, if you want to call them natural disasters with the you know, the, the hurricane and then with the um, you know Texas uh, you know snowstorm and power outages and now we're having you know droughts in, in various places. I mean, what can some of these CPG companies do to maybe build redundancy into their into their supply chain and maybe mitigate against some of these some of those risks? Yeah, so it's a great question. Um, resiliency is definitely the key buzzword over the last year, right? How quickly can you bounce back in a time of disruption, time of pandemic, natural disaster, really, you name it, like, how do you get back uh, to normal operations as quickly as possible? So you see a lot of companies doing, um, and actually, you see the, the government doing as well, when it comes to like, thinking about how you improve American supply chains, is this degree of like supply chain mapping of thinking about, uh, through your um, network of suppliers, uh, are there uh, sort of critical nodes where either you need to have a degree of replication in the system, alternative sourcing arrangements? Um, are there places where you can identify that there's really um, sort of leading edge risk because of either you know any number of concerns? It could be natural disaster or vulnerability to that. It could be geopolitical. It could be um, ESG related or climate related. Um, thinking about you know are there risks there that you can identify by doing some of that supplier mapping? I know that there's a, a variety of companies playing in that space, thinking about the uh, applications of AI uh, to understand and, and document some of that, and really think about that network of suppliers again. Um, but you also see companies trying to identify you know are there you thought you were sourcing from multiple places, but actually in actuality you're though all of your suppliers are sourcing from the same people, and so uh, you stand the same risk of of being disrupted. Um, and many of the companies that I talked to, um, some of them utilize technology to do this. Um, some of them have done it manually. Um, clearly, there's a huge opportunity there to utilize technology and really um, think about the, the supply chain risks uh, and, and think about what is, can you capture the ROI if you're able to predict um, where you could see a disruption? Uh, could you uh, mitigate that ahead of time um, and, and save money ultimately um, and preserve your operational capacity? That makes a lot of sense. Um, big issue there with uh, uh, supply chains. 
Uh, another question I have is um, just related to technology advancements. And I'm really started thinking about technology advancements in the context of you know, what uh, CPG companies can do to be more environmentally friendly in terms of you know, having their supply chains be you know, greener. Um, you know, do you have any thoughts on, on that or, or any specific companies or industries that are really uh, sort of standouts there? Yeah, I mean, and not to, to shift the buck or sort of move the, uh, you know, place of blame on, on other aspects, but I think that one of the, the real opportunities for CPGs, and you see a lot of companies making uh, various ESG commitments of saying, we want to improve the sustainability of our supply chain, and we want to also ultimately meet uh, the requirements that are being put on CPGs by uh, retailers, um, those who have their own concerns from a, a managing uh, emission standpoint. Um, the most outsized opportunity in, in my eyes when it comes to CPG supply chains is thinking about your transportation um, and moving the needle on green transportation and being able to move goods and services across the country effectively while um, reducing carbon. Um, obviously, that requires tremendous technology investment. Um, it requires the availability of class seven and eight uh, you know, alternative fuel vehicles. Um, they're still in development. Um, it, it perhaps in the future requires a degree of uh, autonomy. Um, so there, there's a, a really outsized opportunity. It's just, can you get there um, over the course of the next five, 10 years? Um, I think that you see some of the opportunity there. It's, you know, it's, 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 there's, there's aspects of this that are built into an infrastructure uh, package that's still moving through Washington, has funding for um, electric charging stations, things of that nature, to accelerate the um, the forward momentum of alternative fuel vehicles and, and trying to green the transportation space. Um, but you have to um, move an entire industry along, um, support truckers in that evolution, um, and really provide the opportunity for for CPGs and other shippers uh, to um, to do things more in, in an environmentally friendly way. You can you can look at um, facility management. You can look at uh, you know, various ways of changing your own operations. Of course, all CPGs are going to want to become more efficient. It saves not only uh, the environment, but time and money. Um, so they're continuing to make those investments, but transportation is really that um, untouched, but really outsized opportunity that's out there. That's great. That makes a lot of sense. And, um, you know, I think the, that transportation opportunity is something that Consumer Brands Association can help with with ideas. It's also something that freight waves can, can help with, um, with all the data that we have, so would encourage uh, any of our listeners to reach out to to, to, to both of us. Um, don't think we have time for any more questions, but if anyone needs to reach out to me, uh, you can do that at mbowdendistal at freightwaves.com. Um, if you want to sign up for my newsletter that comes out twice a week, you can do that at www.freightwaves.com forward slash the stockouts. I know the Consumer Brands Association has a, a newsletter that I see um, a few times a, a, a week. Uh, do you want to mention that and, and how would people, you know, reach out to you and, and read your uh, economic uh, report. Yeah, so we have published all of our reports, economic materials, all of that on our website, consumerbrandsassociation.org. Um, so I, honestly, just go there, um, be able to check out all of our latest research and reports. And um, we also have a, a number of reports on uh, CPG supply chain uh, policy over the last year and, and what can be changed from that nature. So encourage uh, listeners to, to check that out and, and learn more. Great. So we'll, we'll do that. And uh, with that, I think we're out of time. So I want to wish everyone a, a great weekend. And thanks very much, Tom, for, for joining me.